The following is a breakout session from the 2014 Acts 29 conference in Dallas. Given the interactive nature of breakouts and Q&A, there may be extended periods of silence. Dr. Bryson, or some commonly know him as JB, he's a godly man, uh, loves his family, loves his church. Uh, he is the founder of Fellowship Memphis, one of the leading multi-ethnic cult, multicultural churches in our country. He's the co-president or co-presenter uh, on 33, uh, the Authentic Manhood series. Uh, John is a, a humble man. Uh, he's a, as a leader of men. Um, he serves on the Acts 29 board and just really quietly serves behind the scenes for the glory of God. Uh, he's a big Grizzlies fan. Oh, yeah. And a jewel of wisdom for any man to learn. Let's help to welcome John Thank Bryce. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thanks, buddy. All right, great to be with you guys, men and women, uh, and uh, talking about this important uh, subject of finances and the financial health of your church. And the reality is, the fact is, uh, ministry costs money. Ministry costs money, and so learning to embrace that, learning to step into that as a leader, as a pastor, not being scared of that, not shying away from that, not being a lover of money, uh, but at the same time, uh, a lot of times in our tribe, we, because of our own insecurities or our own lack of training in the area of financial health or financial health of an organization, we tend to passive-aggressively or silently kind of... Um, uh, uh, demone the, that whole side of what we are as a church. So this is not unique to me. I probably learned it 25 years ago, but kind of church being a um, several things or a conglomerate of things, but it's a, it's a cause. It's a community. Those things are pretty firm to us. Um, cause, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. We're to plant churches. We're to seek the welfare of the city. We're to fight for the orphan, uh, protect the widow. There's all kinds of causeness uh, that drives us as pastors, drives us as church planters. But we're not just a cause. We're also a community. So there are people to shepherd. There are marriages to uh, help. There are conflicts to mediate. Uh, there are people to care for, and so we're, we're, a, we're a family on mission. Uh, we're a cause and a community. It's not either or, it's both and, but we're also, as a functioning local church, and we hate to use this word, we run from it, we're also a corporation. Like literally, like you literally wrote bylaws, you're literally an agent of the state, you literally, you should, you will eventually have an org chart, like uh, the IRS can come after you, the IRS is deeming contributions to your church tax deductible, and so love it or hate it, you are a corporation. Um, and when those three things work in unison, uh, man, really good gospel ministry can happen. Uh, when you're just, here, here's another way I'd say this, if you're just excited about cause and community, that's called a good Christian. If you don't care about the corporation, don't become a pastor and create an organization. Because that's what a, one of the things a local church is. Not exclusively, we're not a business, but there is an element of business structure, strategy, corporation that you need to embrace, you need to value. You don't have to be the expertise in it, but you need to not passively, aggressively undermine it, uh, thus ultimately destroy and collapse cause and community. And that's the great sadness as I've watched over 60 planners through Fellowship Associates as I've gotten in the deep end of Acts 29 in the last three or four years, how sad men with a great cause who value community, but because they underdevelop their ability to build or have people build good structures around them, it just collapses. 
you know, one of the leading reasons churches fail is because they're undercapitalized. And that is so sad to me. They just literally don't take money seriously enough or won't raise enough of it to create and build and deepen good gospel ministry. So I'm going to share with you some um, lessons learned on my iPad 1 here. And... Um, <laughs> And uh, just hopefully some of this will stick, take the meat, throw away the bones, and we'll have a robust Q&A. Uh, ministry costs money. That is true, what I said a minute ago. But what your church most needs from you is free, all right? Vision doesn't cost a dime. Encouragement doesn't cost a dime. Um, clarity doesn't cost a dime. Passion doesn't cost a dime. Uh, encouragement doesn't cost a dime. And so uh, we need to value the role of finances, but we need to remember that the most important things we give to our organization are free. Um, money follows vision, and so I was thinking about when Fellowship Memphis was between 50 and 100 people, how important it was uh, for me to cast vision, how important it was for me to cast vision, because most of our funding came from outside our church when our church was that size, and so we were nurturing and sharing uh, the vision for people all around the country to invest in something in Memphis, Tennessee, um, to help us get started. That was terminal in their investment. I wasn't asking for a lifetime commitment, but give us three to five years. Uh, hopefully, it'll be on the three side. It may be on the five side. I won't put you on the hook beyond five. Hopefully, I'll tell you we're done by three, um, <clears throat> and that's kind of what happened. It took, I remember the first year, our, our budget was 90% outside of our church, 10% inside of our church. Uh, the second year, it went to like 70-30. The third year, it went to like 60-40. And then by the fourth year, praise God, we got to 90 or 95 inside our church, 5 or 10% outside our church. Um, uh, but we've never been to 100 because by God's grace, there's always been people around the country who believed in us, believed in our vision, and wanted to make an investment in that. But those dollars came from not what was established, uh, but what the vision we were casting about the gospel community we wanted to become. Um, I remember at 50 to 100, it finally hit me one day. Not only was I the chief fundraiser, not only was I responsible to raise money, and incidentally, I'm 11 years in, and that's never stopped. I've never not worried about the resources. I've never quit raising funds. Uh, it's a little different way and a little different reasons, but uh, your chief fundraiser as the lead pastor of your church is always a job description or always a line on your job description. But I tapped into something one day when I saw some parents and some grandparents of some young couples with young babies in our church. And I remember asking one Sunday and explaining our finances, which is so crucial. Brian crushed it that first hour on so many of the basics. But I remember looking at our young church of 50 to 100 people, explaining our funding, explaining inside, outside, and asking them to reach into their networks, to help from their networks raise money for the, our church. And it was unbelievable the number of grandparents that wanted to support us that lived all over the country uh, because they wanted a place like our place for their kids and grandkids to be a part of. And all, most, a lot of them, not all of them, some of them were unchurched people who came to Christ in our church, but a lot of them had a church background. So I said, hey, could you ask your church to maybe support what we're doing here in Fellowship Memphis? If I got you some fundraising materials, if I sent you an email, could you forward that along to your network? And it was one of those kind of over the humps into the next phase uh, realities that happened for us when I asked our body to help us raise funds from outside of our body. And so that was a little nugget no one had ever coached me in or told me to do, but was so super, super helpful when we were at the stage where you guys are. Um, I would echo Brian and say develop and maintain an ongoing healthy dialogue. 
both about stewardship and church finances. Sometimes we talk so much about stewardship, we don't educate the body on our local body's church's financial situation. So I, I so yes, teach them about stewardship and stewarding all that they have and are for the glory of God among the nations. <clears throat> but here's the situation that our church is in. And one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was to be dead honest, consistent, and clear about finances in our local church and do that frequently and don't manipulate and don't guilt trip, just be honest and open. And that has served us so well for 11 years. And so uh, there are a lot of Sundays I'm sitting on a stool like this one. Sometimes it's been a part of a sermon I'm preaching. Sometimes I'll say, we need a business moment and take 10 or 15 minutes. And then Brian Loritz comes and preaches a sermon. And so it becomes a, a second part of our service. But I hope you'll ha uh, develop a clear way to constantly and a consistent voice Talk about the financial situations in your church, where you are in your budget. We happen to print our budget and our giving every week in the bulletin. No one's ever guessing that. Um, we uh, quarterly send a letter to every donor and say, um, here's a giving report so far after the first quarter, after the second, after the third, after the fourth. So they're kind of tracking their own giving. Again, I don't look at those or study those. Someone else stuffs those and sends those. But uh, it's constantly putting that in front of them. I write the cover letter for that every time, which is 100% about where we are financially as a church compared to our mission and the things we want to do this year. Um, the expense accounts, I made a little note on my iPad here to um, uh, how important and strategic that was. Uh, that we, we rose, I raised a lot of money, our team raised a lot of money uh, because we didn't want to be undercapitalized. And specifically those first two years, I knew if, if, real, if the three most important words in real estate is location, location, location. The three most important words in church planning is relationships, relationships, relationships. And so we had three staff that were, um, we planted aggressively. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that, but we knew we had to get after it. And so we set aside up to $200 a month from day one. We sacrificed not doing other things, a men's retreat or a women's retreat or this or that or buying a sound system or any of that or buying even getting in offices. We, we said, wait on that. And let's fund our people who hold the DNA of our church, who are the best vision casters of our church. And anything Brian or Ben or JB is doing with people, we, we, we not only would reimburse that, but because money was weird and weird about money, like the first hundred lunches I had, I paid for the other person's lunch. Like I wanted to the, thank you for your time. And so my lunch gets reimbursed and I'm picking up the check. And I can't tell you how, how strange that was for so many people in a good way. They had never had a pastor buy their meal, much less a church planter. And so those were very strategic dollars. It was a $600 line item. Or if someone invited me out to dinner, I mean, you, you could reimburse babysitting out of that. Like the, our punchline was, which we set up with our accountant, anything that allows me or Brian or Ben to be with people is reimbursable. And so uh, that became just a priority of our budget was that ministry investment of an expense account, and that served us incredibly well. Again, there's legalities there that you just need to make sure are legal and keep the IRS off your front porch. Um, in this age and stage of 50 to 100, which I'm assuming there's one full-time person on staff, you have to be super careful in hiring. I, if if undercapitalized is one of the biggest problems I've seen in church planners, close to second would be the second hire is the dumbest hire in the world. Uh, that they, that you, you, your first chance to hire someone to take something off your plate and further your mission, and you make a bad hire. 
And so knowing very clearly what you're looking for, who that is, how they compliment you, um, uh, being wary of, of somebody being willing to come work for you for free by raising their own support. One, nothing's ever free. Uh, there's a lot of um, cost, time, energy, um, leadership of that person, and it's always a balloon note. So you're, you're, you're pre-hiring them in the future, or you're going to have this massive um, uh, situation where there's all kinds of disgruntledness because, all right, who, you know, if there's three people raising their support, who, who comes on staff first, and how does that work? And not that we've never, ever had that or never had people do that, but you just have to be super clear with expectations that, um, man, once you got two or three people raising their support to work with you, like, how does that work? If somebody gives us $10,000 next week, does somebody now come off support? And who is that? And how do you have those awkward conversations? So just be super careful in doing that. Um, and um, I, we've always been lean. We've always been, uh, although we started aggressively with three staff, um, Man, that carried us for a lot of years. Uh, it was year four before we started, uh, brought on a part-time worship leader. And so we've always, even in the last five years, operated for our size as with a staff below. Personally, I've always wanted higher capacity people that, that I could pay more, um, or we've outsourced a ton of things. And so uh, we use diamonds, we outsource books, we outsource graphic designing, we outsource any kind of videography, we outsource any, any of that, because, man, that fixed cost is your stress point. Like, um, I agree with Brian, we've all, we always have a to operate budget and an aspirational wish list budget. And so just being, man, personnel, I, I don't, I don't, ever want to have to lay people off. That would, that would like, freak me out. And so um, uh, being able to say, man, we want to operate lean. If we hire the right people, one, they'll pay for themselves because the kind of gospel ministry they do and people they attract uh, will attract enough people to carry their own salary, or you've hired the wrong person. Uh, and so it's like, how do I find the kind of people that do the kind of ministry at a level that they can actually pay for themselves by the influence they have in people's lives? And so uh, always kind of thinking through that and not just assuming if I can just hurry up and make a hire, my life will get less stressful and less and more doable and I'll be less freaking out. Now you hire the right kind of person, that can be true. Uh, but boy, don't I've seen too many church planners make too many dumb personnel decisions early on to assume that any of us can do that just left to ourselves. And so that's one area you're going to need some great coaching in who do I need to hire and how do I need to hire them and how do we make this work um, and all. I'd say as well, because finances are tight and you're early on or the group's not quite where you need it to be, uh, Live the tension in doing things well and not being cheap. <laughs> like, like cheap begets cheap. And so we decided to not do things if we couldn't do them at some kind of level of um, quality uh, that says, you know what, we, this, this, we're not what we will be one day by God's grace, but, um, man, we want to do a couple things incredibly well. And so a lot of church planners at y'all's age and stage try to do too much, honestly. And so I've flew here on a plane, and I heard the announcement, all of y'all have heard, uh, that if I'm traveling with kids and we lose pressure in the cabin, like, make sure the adult puts their mask on their face first so they're alive to put their mask on kids. And so uh, I tell that illustration to every church planner I coach because every church planner I coach has these grand aspirations. And I was in Austin a few months ago, and a guy was showing me all these nonprofits he wanted to partner with. And I was like, dude, you're not even like something yet. Like, you don't even have something to partner with them yet. And I said, man, you need to put the mask 
mask on yourself first so that you are alive to be able to bless and serve and send volunteers and give money to organizations four, five, six years from now. But the last thing you need to be worrying about is how you're partnering in the city. Like you need to build and you know, a functioning, establishing, self-sustaining, and that those were those, you know, where you got. That's where those selfs become important. How do I get self-financing, self-actualizing, self-governing, self-supporting? Like you want to move from church plant to establishment, where you know we can pay for ourselves, we can govern ourselves. And again, I get a lot of that can be three, five, seven years, but that we get to those establishment, then we can move to flourishing. Like we become a blessing to others, and we're flourishing, and we're planting churches. But uh, you know, some churches stay in a perpetual financial chaos because they plant a church before they can financially afford to plant a church. Or they, you know, I'm all for church planning in the DNA of the church. But man, there's sweat equity you can give to that cause. There's a lot of things you can give to the cause that don't don't sacrifice the financial health of your church to plant another other church. Like, like you want to be a flourishing church for multiple decades that plants a bunch of churches. That doesn't have, have to happen in the first 18 months. And so be wary of that. Uh, understand scales and scalability. And so something as simple as going, right now we got this many adults averaging, this many kids on a corporate gathering Sunday averaging, which that requires this many volunteers, this many parking spaces, and this many seats. And so if the Lord were to grant us, uh, and that cost us this amount of money, and for our body, uh, you know, even down to some, some simple math can create like how many, what's the average giving in our body of an adult per Sunday? And so to have some kind of spectrum to where if you doubled, if you were 200 people this time next year, you would, again, it wouldn't be perfect, but you would kind of know, that would probably mean we'd have this many kids, need this many kids volunteers, have this many missional communities, which would need this many leaders, which would need this many parking places, which would need this much space to meet in. Like, you don't have to be a genius in math or stats to figure that out, but you've kind of got a working grid that you, you don't need to know the next five years, but the next year, the next se season of growth, You've got a pretty good idea of the cascading realities of that or the scalability of what you're doing. And that starts to determine, man, we wouldn't be able to meet in this room if we were 800 people, right, or 600 people or 400. So when, will, when do we start looking for new space? Well, I'll know the tipping point will be, or we, we, had, we were in, we've never, we're 11 years old, and we've never owned a building, we've never owned office space, we've always rented <coughs> um, but I remember one, I knew one of the tipping points of a college auditorium we met in. It was a landlocked small college, had a 1,200-person auditorium. Uh, we never filled up a 1,200-person auditorium because I knew there was like 113 parking spots out there. And so, like, I kind of knew that as a leader that, like, we're going to have to move from here long before our body ever feels like we got to move somewhere else because I always kind of had this working, literal working document knowing the tipping point for this space is parking spaces. Like, it's crazy. When Americans come to church, they most often bring their car. And so, like, like we're going to have to, like, factor into that and find a different place for here. Um, it's important to get help in, get, in creating a good set of books. Um, a good, again, not high level. Uh, 
a couple of good reports that uh, your elders and you can look at and what I call kind of a dashboard so that you can see kind of on one page kind of what kind of average attendance are we having monthly, what kind of average giving are we having monthly, kind of where are we financially. We, we have a dashboard now, even though we're 11 years old, it's one pager. I can see how much money's in the bank. I can see how much money we've got budgeted for this year. I can see how much has been given. It's kind of got a month-by-month breakdown. So uh, now our dashboard wouldn't necessarily serve you, but what, what is the dashboard that you as a global leader of your church, can, you know, an elder of your church, which assumes overall governing responsibility. Again, if you don't want overall governing responsibility, don't be an elder. Just go be a Christian. But part of being an elder is shouldering the older overall governing uh, responsibilities because I, I want to change your attitude about that because here's what some of you will do. Well, I just can't wait to hire an executive pastor to do all that. Uh, and, and that's ridiculous. Like then resign and let the executive pastor run your church because part of being the lead pastor and the elder of your church is that global weight, is that global responsibility where are we, where, we're gonna, where are we going, and how much is it going to cost, and what kind of staff are we going to need, and what kind of facilities are we going to need, and you stay engaged in that conversation, and you lead in that conversation. Um, nurture inside and outside investors into your cause, and so I was super, super, super personal back in the day, uh, especially with our outside the church don- donors, and so I, commun- I didn't want to wear them out, <clears throat> but like I remember back then, rewind 10 years ago, like every support letter you got for anything, mission trip, whatever, you know, it was always an envelope and a sticker you did in your inkjet printer, you know, and it had generic your return address and they're in a generic Excel sheet or whatever and your printer printed it out. And so I remember I just was like, man, I'm going to handwrite everything. I'd sit there on a Saturday and watch two college football games and literally address a thousand envelopes. And guys would be like, um, man, that's inefficient. I'm like, exactly. Like, I want this personal. I do want this inefficient. I'm going to write them a note. And so I nurtured this group of, uh, out of 800 or 1,000, probably three or 400 of them gave at least once. And probably 200 of them were given to us monthly outside of our church for the first three to four years of our church. And I just took it on myself to nurture relationships with them, to thank them. Every single gift to our church got a handwritten thank you note from me. Like, again, I just super valued that and said thank you. Or something significant happened in the life of our church. We baptized five people or two people. Man, I let them know that and regularly communicated them that thank you. Uh, we've, I've kept that list of people. We celebrated them at our five-year anniversary. We celebrated them at our 10-year anniversary. We may invite them to our by God's grace, to our 20-year anniversary and go, you want to know the heroes of our church? Like, these people gave when we were an idea. They didn't, they didn't even live in Memphis. Like, they, didn't, they never benefited from the dailiness or weekliness of our church, but they're huge investors in our cause. And so, again, you owning the responsibility to love them and serve them, it just served me well. Uh, keep it simple. Uh, don't start out with 17 different sub-accounts people can give to or they can give to youth ministry or give to missional communities or give to women's. But, like, like just have a budget that... Your body learns to trust, uh, that they trust you, they trust your elders, and keep things as simple as you can keep them and reports as simple as you can report them. <clears throat> um, don't neglect the importance of end-of-the-year giving. Uh, in case you didn't know this, like, man, December is massive for churches and nonprofits and church plants. And so, um, in fact, one church I got to watch that was a more developed church, 20-year-old church, 40% of their annual budget came in in the month of December. They functioned in the red September, October, November, would make it up in December, and then it, it would run the rest of it. And so 
we found that we found December has been an extraordinary giving month for the 11 years we've existed as a church, most often doubling any other month of giving in the life of our church. Part of that reason, Gibbs over there nodding as well, part of that reason is we talk about that, we acknowledge that, I educate my body on why that is, which generates more giving for us. And so next Sunday, because I'm beating every other nonprofit to my own people, uh, I'll get up and go, hey, December is always, and here's my pitch, December, you may know this, you may not know this, is always an extraordinary giving month in general. Here's the reason why that is. It's the end of a quarter, and a lot of you steward quarterly bonuses. Now, what have I just done there? Like, I need a piece of that quarterly bonus you're going to get, right? Uh, it's the end of a year, and some of you steward an annual bonus. What have I just done there? I know that. Like, you ain't sliding that by. Like, it, it, it's, it's the end of a year. Some, some small businesses run a fiscal year, and some people give off the profit, profitability of their business, and so that's why they, it's a season of generosity. It's um, uh, tax-deductible purposes a lot of people need to give. So for all those reasons, um, <clears throat> December tends to be an extraordinary giving year. Now, hear me say this. We want you generous beyond us to causes and people that propel the gospel, that, you know, relief organizations beyond us. You be generous. But know that your local church needs your extraordinary December giving. Here's what that does for us. It does two things. One, it carries us during the lean months of the year so that we're not coming up here during March when it's spring break and half y'all are gone for the month. We're not coming up here in June and July when everybody's crazy begging you for money. It carries us during the lean years. And here's the second thing it does, because that's not very inspiring. It catalyzes new initiatives. So you need to hear that your elders are aggressive with their next, as aggressive with their next year budget as our December end of the year giving. So we know how aggressive it could be. It became so important for us that we moved our fiscal year to October 1st so that December would become in the first quarter of our uh, fiscal budget year so that we would know kind of how aggressive we could be for the last three quarters of the year of our ministry year. So know how to communicate that, know how to educate on that, and talk about it a couple times. The reason I'm talking about it next Sunday is I'm going to give it a breather, and then I'm going to get back up the first Sunday of December, and then I might mention it the second Sunday of December, because here's what's going to happen. Everybody in your church is going to get pounded by anybody raising support and any nonprofit saying, hey, help us. It's usually the end of their fiscal year, because a lot of nonprofits run January 1 to December 31st, and they're going to get pounded. And again, I want them to support good causes, but I also want them to know their local church needs that. Um, and the last thing I tell you, because I want to get some Q&A and get that going, just, man, where God guides, God provides. And so some of the most stressful things for me were church at 50 to 100 and trying to figure out finances. I'll never forget um, sitting at Perkins, a little breakfast place, and uh, it was a Thursday, and I knew payroll was on a Friday, and I was um, uh, freaking out because I knew we didn't have enough money in the bank to make payroll the next day, and I was so terrified about that. I didn't know how to tell my other two teammates. Uh, I knew, man, just the money we had raised was doing this, and, the, uh, um, and man, expenses had gotten to a place where I was just petrified, and, um, and yet I was believing like where God guides, God provides. And I'll never forget Spirit just said, man, go check the mailbox. And I'd already been by the mailbox at like 8 a.m. because that's when the mail comes. I'm like, no, they've already put the mail in there. And went by, went to our post office, man, just saw a little deal sitting in the thing. I was like, oh, yeah, I like pulled it out. And there was a check for $25,000 from a guy in California None of us knew. I was like, is this a mistake? Like, did he type it in wrong? You know, and it was like a man. We wept and went up the thing. The guy sent a check the next month for $25,000. 
The next month for 25, he gave us $75,000. We to this day have no idea who he is. We to this day have never met him. None of our team, I tried to, I've written him thank you notes. I wrote him at our five-year anniversary, never got anything back. But, but it, it confirmed in me, listen, where God guides, God provides. He's rarely early, but never late. Like he knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly the financial situation you're in. And he is going to, by design, put you in a situation to have to trust him, to watch him come through. He'll stack the deck against himself to put you in a situation where you're able to watch him come through where only he gets glory. Only he gets glory. But you've got to live that financial stress in order to see Jehovah Jireh provide every need that you have in your church to fund what it is he's going to do. So he will bring every single dollar to fund every single thing he wants to do in and through the ministry that he's entrusted to you. So let's do a little Q&A. Duane, you want to come up? That's excellent. Excellent, John. Let me ask you a question real quick before we open up the floor. What would you say about pledges uh, in the earlier stages of 55 to 100? would Would you say to your people, give me a pledge of what you consider giving for the month so that we can craft the budget? Because some of the t- sometimes there's a challenge in 55 to 100 of how to even form a budget because yeah, you don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we didn't do that, um, partly because at that size for us, so much was coming from outside. So I did ask. I said, man, one-time gifts are great, but what really helps us budget well, steward well, is a monthly, regular, consistent, sacrificial giving. And so um, I've always said that to our body. Like, man, I, we always appreciate one-time gifts, but you just need to know it's hard to make good decision based off one-time gifts. So the systemic, regular, disciplined giving is the very best way we can steward and make decisions. Um, but it's... a uh, um, it's not right or wrong. It's just a right or left. I mean, some have said, hey, to their core group, man, just anonymously tell me what we can give so I can know how to plan and budget this. But a budget is important. Um, Like like I said, we've always had a minimalist to exist budget and then a wish list as things come, as extraordinary income comes in. And we'll pre- pre-prioritize that list so that um, uh, we'll know, man, if an extra 10,000 or 15 comes in, we're going to do this or this or this. As a global elder, you had mentioned a little bit about how we ought to be thinking globally. Yeah. Yeah. Like in, as we think about going from 150 to 200, yeah. should we be doing something today to prepare ourselves fiscally for 120, 150 or 200? Yeah, I think to me that's where that just knowing kind of a little bit where we're headed. You can't predict growth. You can't make growth. You can't. Um, but you can, like I said, based on your ratios, the number you do, the setup you have, the ministries you're doing, kind of know another hundred people means this, this, probably means this, 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 and this. And so you don't have to be a lot of bit ahead. You just have to be a little bit ahead so that, again, that's what a leader does, anticipates the future. Um, God can do whatever he wants to do. But uh, you'll, you, when you make a lot of good decisions back to back to back because you're taking the time to get out of the trees, look at the forest, kind of even paint a picture. Like, boy, you know, I, we would love to be at 200 people by this time next year. And, man, guys, that would mean part of how we're going to get there is you guys invite your friends into good corporate services and good missional communities. You know, we want to love our city well and letting them know you want to grow. Like, like they all are with you because they took a snapshot, and they like that snapshot. Yeah. 
but you're a movie. So like constantly telling them, like, you know, um, you're here because a bunch of people sacrificed where they were to come here, so we're going to be laying down our life for the sake of the next 100 people. And so what does that look like for us, and how do we give financially toward those next 100 people that aren't here so they can experience what we're experiencing? One of the things that, that these guys, and, and probably I remember when I was 55 to 100, you only have one elder, Right. And so you talked about forecasting, budgeting, planning, kind of yeah. looking at the lay of the land. Who did these guys do that with? Yeah. Yeah. I found other pastors and churches uh, that would just I asked, can I come to you for very specific advice or can I get 20 minutes on the phone? It's all I need. Uh, you don't have to ask me how I'm doing. We don't have to small talk. <laughs> I just want to I'd love your thoughts on this budget for you know next year. I'd love your thoughts on this or can you help me with this or can I have this so I'd ask permission from four or five pastors that were three or four years ahead of me if I could just and one guy said can I have a standing 30-minute phone call a month he was up in Nashville he was three years ahead of me and um, I just said hey man like I said you don't have to think about that phone call at all I'm 100% responsible for asking questions you can choose not to answer or just answer so don't sweat me I'm not you don't have to shepherd me you don't have to pastor me we don't even have to be friends let me just ask you questions and uh, if you're dry you know and he said great that took all the stress off him and um, and man he was invaluable like he helped me figure out all kinds of things and would have people on his team send me documents send me policies send me procedures and it was awesome. Uh, it's just a testimony for what John just said. Um, we sent our books completely to a church in Raleigh, and they scrutinized everything and made suggestions, wrote up a, a five-page report as to things that we could do different, even looking at my salary a little bit differently and how we do accountable reimbursements. So there could be a partner church, like, like JB is saying, that you could send your finances to and allow their executive pastor or their director of finance to give you some great, yeah. clear suggestions, yeah. put them in writing, and then file them away and, and try to implement them as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's open up the, the floor. We have two sessions now on finances, uh, Brian's session as well as JB. So let's, I know we have some questions. It was my number one responsibility because if I didn't have that, there wasn't going to be any ministry to minister to people. Like We weren't going to exist. So I didn't value uh, a relationship with a Memphian over a uh, donor from wherever, Dallas helping us. And so, again, you're talking about two minutes to write a thank you note. You know what I'm saying? And so I didn't neglect what we were doing in Memphis, but it was just a super high value because that's just what I realized. If we can't fund this thing, it's over. JB, do you think there's a time in a church's history where you should stop looking for money from the outside? I mean, yeah. is there like a cutoff? Because yeah. sometimes there's an, it seems like an expectation that you ought not to be asking for money after a certain point. Yeah, I like it. We're always raising funds, but that doesn't mean asking for money. Again, I, you'd be hard-pressed to find ever any guilt or manipulation from me. It's just as straightforward as it can be. People love the bluntness um, of here's where we are. Like... We, just, we were being written out the same office space for 10 years, literally, or nine, because we didn't have any the first year. And um, we just this summer had to 
move into a, a new office space, but we had to do the buyout, the, the build out. And so it was going to cost us $220,000 to build out this new office space. But then it was going to be super cheap rent. And uh, so I went to this time last year, I went to our body and said, I, I, I think we need to do this. Here's why. Here's what we would do. Here's what we would build out. Here's what would be all of our rents for the next seven years with two rolling three-year commitments. Here's what those rent rates are pre-negotiated. Uh, here's the architect I would use because I'd want to do it right. Here's the plans. You know, um, I think this is the right call, uh, but I'm going to let you tell me. If y'all give us $220,000 between now and December to do this, we'll go for it. Start January 1st. If not, we'll go to a plan B. I don't have, honestly, I don't have a plan B, but January 1, I'll start looking for a plan B, but um, let's see. You know, so it wasn't like the Lord told me we're to be in this spot and you are to help us. You know what I'm saying? It's not weird. It was just, I think this is a great opportunity. Um, let me think about that. I mean, since we've had an established elder board in year three, it's they know it's not just one or two people coming up with this budget, and um, we've never gotten big time pushback. We've gotten some pushback. For instance, uh, like one of the philosophies we've got. Um, I was doing a wedding at a 60-year-old established church, and I was waiting on the wedding to start and I, just two weeks ago. And I picked up their deal, and it was their missions giving. And basically, the philosophy of this church is we expect, you know, roughly a 10% tithe or whatever, and then we'll redirect it. Or if you want to give to a missionary, give to us, and we'll give to them, and then we'll celebrate collectively what we're giving to missions. And so I've always taken the opposite approach that I'm not getting the full giving of all of our people, that we're getting a percentage of their overall giving, which I'm fine with. Uh, and so also I guess we get 2 to 3% of our people's giving, that there's another 7 or 8% probably, or 2 or 3% at least, that go out without including us. And so, um, so the pushback on the budget was it doesn't look like we give a ton to international missions. You know, like we got one guy that funds an orphanage in Honduras over $2 million a year. Like I know that. And so I was like, man, that doesn't reflect on our books, but you need to know there are a ton of people in our church that give a ton of people to global causes uh, that we just don't ask them to send it to us first so that we can get credit for it, basically. And so, um, But a collection of elders approving the budget, which is one of the primary job descriptions of an elder board, is to approve the ministry plan, just like Brian drew up, and approve the calendar and the budget that support that strategic plan. Um, again, there can be points of disagreement. It's usually not... Uh, usually, if, if it's a push, I kind of walk through our thinking, and then it's like... That's kind of where we are. You know, we'll be glad to rethink that in the future, but this is kind of where we are for this year. If you have two to three elders at that stage of 50, 50 to 100, yeah. are all those elders engaged in the daily or, or quarterly or monthly processing of those finances? Uh, at least, yeah, um, somebody is. I mean, you've got to have somebody checking expense reports, um, somebody checking the books, making sure nothing's weird. Just as Brian said, it's a covering. It's a freedom. It's not a restriction. So that uh, last thing I want to do is just be my voice on the finances or defending my own financial decisions. And so, um, 
Yeah, it's recruiting. That may not be an elder board. Until you get an elder board established, you might just find two or three godly people that are your finance team. So I had a ton of terminal teams, like a finance team that would serve until an elder board was established, a facility team or children's ministry team that volunteered and served until we had a children's pastor year six. But, you know, just kind of um, terminal teams that volunteer their expertise to help. No, you guys have some more questions anymore? Any more questions? Ladies, any questions? All right, we get to be the first ones to the food trucks. Yeah. We can break here in a minute. Yeah. Yes. I know, that's such a good question. I feel convicted. We're discussing that right now because we were 11 years old and we're still in church planning mode where they're like one bad month and we're in trouble, which can't be right. So um, so how, how much is in reserve that, you know, that I, like I don't want the Lord to come back and I just have a million dollars in the bank, right? I have to explain that to him. Uh, and then how much, but how, how like, our church is operating now like we wouldn't encourage a couple to operate. So this next year, like we're going to go on a fast as a church and put at least two to three, if not three to four months operating, basic operating salaries and rent, you know, basic operating expenses in the bank is kind of where we landed. But that, that wasn't true of us the first <laughs> decade. Um, and and we, somebody mentioned this. We did do more six-month budgeting and three-month forecasts when we were at this size. But, like, we were literally, what, what the, Monday, what the offering looked like yesterday, it was low. Everybody hold off. Like, nobody spend a dime, you know. And then, or we might have a really good Sunday, or somebody gave us $10,000 that they normally get. You know, I go, okay, we, we got a little wiggle room here. What do we need? You know, like, what should we invest this in? So our team would kind of discuss that. So we, we kind of functioned with a weekly budget in that regard. That's a great question. Anybody else? I think I saw one more hand up. Or else we're out. All right. Well, thanks, JB. Yeah, man. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, appreciate Thank it. You. All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to break now. And uh, hopefully, as you transition to lunch, uh, just spend some time with your teams, kind of talking about both of those sessions.